0: So good to see you, rich worship time. Uh, if you've been around Woods Edge much, you know our mission. This is what God has placed us here for. We want to love Jesus with all our hearts, all of our lives. We want to journey together. Well, that means loving one another, particularly home churches, but all kind of groups we've got. And then we want to bring the hope of the gospel, the hope of Christ to the world, down our streets, around the world. So that's what we're about. So intercession is when we pray for other people, and intercession is as close as we get to the cross. This is what I mean. I mean that the sort of sacrificial love best seen in the cross of Christ, that in intercession, when we call out in prayer for other people, that's as close as we get to that loving, sacrificial Spirit, best seen in the cross. The more intercession that goes on here for one another, the healthier we'll be as a church, the healthier we'll be as Christians, and the more answers to prayer we're going to see, the more intercession that goes on around here. Spirit of intercession is just absolutely vital for a healthy church, and we want to see the level of intercession, the level of prayer uh, to be raised. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was the Well known German pastor and theologian during World War II, who actually was killed in his opposition to Nazism and to Hitler, he once put it this way He said, A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. It's just that important when we pray for other people. Now, praying for other people, this intercession is both a privilege and a responsibility. It is the highest ministry that we can have. Some folks are, have a special calling to intercession, but all of us as believers are called to intercession in the same way as that some people in the Christian life, we've got to, they have a gift of faith, but all of us are to live by faith. Some folks have a special gift of giving or generosity, but all of us give. That's that way with intercession. All of us have the ministry of intercession. It is the best thing that we can do for anybody. It is the most loving thing we can do for anybody. I mean, think about it. When I directly uh, do something for somebody, that's great, and that's important, and indeed necessary. But when I call out to God, I, I bring not just human power, I bring God's power to bear on the situation. And that is the most loving, the most powerful thing that we can do. Not the only thing, but it is the main thing. When we intercede and pray. So it is our privilege and our responsibility. It is not easy. It is a difficult thing. I mean, it's uh, work. It's unseen. It's hidden. Somebody put it this way. They said intercession is a sacrifice, a bleeding sacrifice. And so it, again, reflects the cross. Church, one of the most outstanding examples of intercession in all the Bible comes in the Abraham narrative that we've been looking at. Genesis 18 Is a remarkable example of intercession. And one of the best ways for you and me to learn how to pray is by looking at some of the great prayers in the Bible. And this morning, we're going to look together at this remarkable example of intercession. So if you'd stand with me, we're going to be in Genesis 18. It'll be on the screens or you can open your Bibles, Genesis 18. I'm going to begin reading at verse 16. But before I do, here's the backstory. Abraham and Lot, Lot is his nephew, have these growing families, households, servants, sheep, and they decide they they ought to separate because the, the land can't hold both of these growing flocks. Abraham gives his nephew first choice of the land. He chooses the more green, lush valley that includes a couple of cities, and he's probably unaware that those cities are wicked cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot goes to live in Sodom. And God is visiting along with two angels in the earlier part of Genesis 18, Abraham, and now he's leaving to go bring judgment. And when he goes to bring judgment on the city where Lot, his nephew, is living, God is warning Abraham to intercede and pray for his nephew. He draws Abraham out. Let's look at it. Genesis 18, beginning at verse 16. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Saying that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham... What he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Church, this is God's holy word. Please be seated. So that last statement that we read. That's not God thinking anymore, that's God speaking out loud to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to go down and see if the outcry is as great as I understand it is, as their sin is so great. And God says that out loud because he is a test to Abraham, how will he respond? Will, Will Abraham care enough to pray, to intercede? I don't mean just kind of mildly, tepidly, mechanically throw up a few rote prayers, but to really pour his heart into it. Does Abraham care enough? Does he believe in the power of prayer enough? Does he believe in me enough that he will intercede for his nephew Lot and his family? Even though it is an unselfish sacrifice, sacrificial act of love, a bleeding sacrifice. Now, we're going to see what happens as God draws Abraham out. But in the same way that God was drawing Abraham out, God draws you and me out. He presents us with various uh, challenges in the lives of people around us. He will put some burdens around us and some needs and some, some heartaches. Do we care enough to pray? Not just a little quick road prayer, but we really pour our heart into it. Will we care enough to intercede? Do we believe in God? Do we believe in the power of prayer enough To really pour our hearts out, even though it is a sacrifice in its work. Now, I'm sure that you have, if you're a believer, follower of Jesus Christ, that you regularly pray for family members, probably for close friends, maybe for um, a few folks at work. Uh, I hope you're doing that. But who else is God putting in your life? And to what extent are you interceding for these family members and close friends? One of the challenges that we have here at Wood's Edge is that I've asked you to do is is to pray for top five. This basket that's up here is called top five. And this is not where we put our prayer requests. Put those in the offering boxes around the room. If you put them in those boxes at the exits, uh, we as a staff and we as elders, we get those and we regularly intercede with you and pray for them. So put those there. What I'd like you to put here. Is I'd like you to ask God, give me five people who may not know you yet, Lord, that I want to intercede for. Who are you putting on my heart that doesn't yet know you? I mean, how big is that if they come to know, you, know God because of your prayers? Ask God, if you're part of Wood's Edge, give you five people and put them on those cards and let's just really be praying for those people. But God puts these burdens and these needs and these challenges uh, on our hearts because... God works in people's lives, but he works through people just about all the time. Sometimes he works directly, but most of the time he uses people, including the prayers of God's people. Now, Abraham is later called in the Scriptures the friend of God. And there was something about Abraham's relationship with God. He becomes the prime example of what it means to live by faith and to live by trust in God. And he has this uh, relationship with God. And so Abraham had clout with God. He had Uh, uh, he was God's partner and ally. Now let me say, you and I may not be Abraham, but if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, let me tell you, God looks at you as his friend, as his ally, as his partner, and he is part of the calling that you have is to intercede, to intercede. Men, can I especially address you? If you are married, if you've got kids, this is how you fight for your family. This is how you defend your family. Now, I know that it's not like in the olden days, maybe a knight defending his family and physical life is stake. It's far more important than that. We're talking about eternities and talking about the spiritual welfare and life of the people around us. This is how we do battle. And, of course, every believer is to do this. But, guys, we got a special responsibility, and let's fight it. Let's engage in the battle. So, these two angels and God are about to uh, go down to Sodom. And God is drawing Abraham out, beginning in verse 23. And in verse 23, we read this. Then Abraham drew near. Note that verb drew near. We'll come back to it later. Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now, notice how he's going to be talking to God. Again, let me visit my point earlier. The best way to learn how to pray is to look at the prayers, the great prayers in the Bible. Notice this little bit of moxie here, a little bit of a pretty candid and honest, isn't he? Or often translated, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? He's worked up. And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So, what do we learn about prayer here? Was God upset at this kind of boldness and honesty? And God, how could you do this? God, there's no way that you could do it. You're the judge of all the earth. It's just not right. I mean, he's so honest and bold with God. Did God mind that? Every indication in the text is that God loved it. Church, there is something that's been a little bit mysterious to me, but this is what I've observed being a pastor 40 years. I see all through the Bible, and I see in Christian history, every great man or woman of God is very honest in their praying. They don't filter through their praise and prayers and pray uh, the sort of things that they should be praying, but they pray what's on their heart. You think God might know what's on their heart? You think God wants some phoniness and some inauthenticity or a sullen passivity? I'm mad at God and won't ever admit to yourself. Or do you think he wants like Abraham, like Jeremiah, like Job, like Jesus, us to be honest with him? Lord, why have you abandoned me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is something powerful, spiritually powerful, about our honest praying, and most of us, including your pastor, need to raise the bar. God can handle your honest praying. He'd far rather have your honesty and your openness, like we see modeled from t- uh, throughout the scriptures. I'd far rather see that than you getting all upset and bitter against God and angry like, you know, a lot of us get at times. And in a sullen passivity, walk away. Church, you are God's ally and you are God's partner. And God wants you to respond like Abraham in intercession, honest, bold, passionate Intercession. I mean, Abraham comes with some degree of emotion, doesn't he? God, I can't believe you're doing this. Shall I the judge of all the earth? Be right. But notice how he sees God. He knows he's the judge of all the earth. He knows he's great. We just sang it. Great is the Lord. He knows he's good. He's just. We sang that too. You're a good, good father. He knows he's good. He's, he's just, but he can't put this together. And so he's honest with God. Lord God, how could you do it? And God loves it. God loves it. Abraham, emboldened by God's response that yes, if there are 50 Abraham, I'll spare the whole city for their place. He's he's bold, and he's worked up, and so he keeps on praying. And in verse 27, this is what happens next. After that response, Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Now, there is humility, isn't there? There's profound humility. So he's not like he's arrogant, but he's honest. He's profoundly humble, but he's profoundly honest. I who but am dust and ashes, suppose, suppose God, five of the 50 righteous or lacking, will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak. No, 30 are found there. I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again. But there's once, suppose ten are found there. I think he was sure that there would be at least ten. He yeah. said, so, 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 suppose ten are found there. And he answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Is this the way you pray? I mean, do you get out there and just honest with God and pour out your heart and you ask and you keep on asking and you put your heart into it and you reel with God, God inscripturates this for all time for us to see this is how you pray, this is how you intercede. You come boldly, you come honestly, you come persistently, you come with passion, you come strong to the Lord and God loves it. And God likes it. You see, there's something about this kind of prayer that knows that God, though he's the sovereign God, he is approachable to us. He's approachable. He's our father. He's a good, good father. Our father in heaven. Father. The Christian name for God is Father. Papa. Now, Abraham knew that God was good and approachable, Before the cross. But we who live on this side of the cross, we know that God rent the rent the curtain of the temple in two, and the way is flung wide open to come into the throne of grace. The classic passage on that perhaps would be Hebrews four sixteen, where we read, Let us then with confidence draw near. Remember that I asked you earlier to to mark that verb when it says Abraham drew near. This would be the Greek equivalent in the New Testament. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Not, not justice, certainly not severity, not even holiness, but to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now that is a verse to know. That is a verse to remind yourself of when you're not sure God's hearing you or you feel like maybe I'm asking too much. Draw near with confidence. The word confidence here can be translated boldness or confidence. They go together. If you're bold with God, you'll be confident of God. Let us draw near with confidence. Let us draw near to receive mercy and grace in time of need. God is approachable. If Abraham knew it, that side of the cross, how much more should you and I know it? So God wants us to intercede. He wants us to intercede with all of our hearts. He wants us to intercede and keep on interceding. Ask and keep on asking. I mean, that exchange we just saw, can I just summarize that? God, if there are 50 there, would you spare it? Yes. What about 45? Yes. What about 40? Yes. What about 30? Yes. What about 20? Yes. What about 10? Yes. If he'd have said four, God would have said yes. Yes, yes, yes. I remember when our kids were young, I tried to say yes as much as I can because that's God's pattern. Now, uh, we said no plenty, believe me. We needed to say no. Man, it had been trouble. God needs to say no plenty to you. I mean, you're, you know, the gap between you, know, you and your kid at two years old is not nearly as big as the gap between you and God. So he needs to say no, period. I would have missed out on Gail. I would have married this other woman. You know, if God didn't say no. Uh, we need no's. But God's heart is to say yes. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his highest willingness. His heart is to say yes. He's a good, good father. Yes. Keep asking. Luke 18:1, Jesus gives us a very important line about prayer. This is what it says. It says, and he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You ever lose heart in prayer? Here's the answer. Unless you're, you know, already arrived, perfect. We lose heart at times. We get discouraged at times. Don't give up. Jesus, Jesus knows that's our bent at times. He said, "Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Pray and keep on praying." Been 10 years. Been 20 years. Been 25 years. Abraham knows about that. Keep on praying. You ought always to pray and not lose heart. Every time you pray. You're declaring to the whole universe, to the angels and the demons of hell. You're the angels of heaven, the demons of hell. You're declaring to the whole universe, "I believe God is God." I mean, I have perfect faith, but I believe it enough to pray. I declare, that's why I'm praying, there is a God in heaven. He's good, He's powerful. He can do it. He's God. Your, f- your faith is expressed with prayer if you're trusting God. All right, he prays. Now Abraham stops at 10. Don't know why he doesn't stop at four, but apparently he believed there's got to be at least ten righteous people in that city. But there weren't. Here's the sequel. We're not going to get into it much in Genesis 19, but the next chapter gives a sequel. There were only four. There was Lot, Lot's wife, Lot's two daughters who were just about grown. Those four people. That was it. This was a very wicked city. In fact, the city of Sodom and along with Gomorrah had been proverbial for evil and wickedness. You know, as Billy Graham used to say, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, the the wickedness was was, was so great there. Only four. But what did God do? Did God destroy the whole city? No. He forced, through the angels, forced Lot, his wife, and the two daughters to leave the city. They didn't want to. They liked it there. Uh, He forces them to leave. What was God doing? He was answering Abraham's prayer, wasn't he? Wasn't that Abraham's prayer? He didn't put it in those words, but he he was concerned about his nephew Lot. And God said yes. Do you know how I know that? How we know that? The next chapter, at the end of that chapter, after the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. What's that saying, if it is not saying the reason that Lot and his family were rescued is because Abraham prayed and God heard Abraham. And when you get to heaven, you will find out that history at times was altered because you prayed. Maybe you weren't the only one to pray, but you were part of the prayers that mattered to God. And it made a difference. Church, we've got to remind ourselves in the world and the culture that we live in that the real power in the universe does not, is not, does not reside in Washington, D.C. It does not reside in New York City or Hollywood or in the financial capitals of the, the great companies or the famous and the wealthy. The real power in the universe belongs to the intercessors who don't just talk that they believe in God, but they pray. And lives are changed. Now I know that we don't get all that we want when we want it. There's mystery about prayer, but this is what one thing is: that that is no mystery about it. All through the Bible, God says, "Ask, ask, ask." Nowhere more than the life of Jesus, Matthew seven, over and over and over. Luke eleven, over and over and over. John fourteen, over and over and over. Each of those passages, there are five or ten times he's emphasizing it: "Ask, ask, ask." The real power is with the intercessors. How are you doing when it comes to intercession? The closest we can get to the cross. In this passage, God is teaching Abraham. You know, if you go back way to the story, God was teaching Abraham, Abraham, this is the real work. This is, the, this is where the power is. Uh, this is the privilege. This is the responsibility. Abraham, do you care enough to, to pray and, inter- and intercede? Do you care enough to call out to me with all your heart? And church, this Bible is not just about history lessons about what happened with Abraham. It's there, there for our sakes. And the real question this morning to every one of us, do you care enough to pray? Do you care enough about some of the burdens around you, in your family, at your workplace? Do you care enough about Lost people that you know God's brought in your life who are going to an eternity without Christ? Do you care enough about some of the broken marriages? About some of the crying heart needs, physically, mentally, financially, all kinds of needs around you? Who is God putting in your life and He is drawing you out? And He is expecting you and calling you to pray? Who is He putting in your life? Like Abraham, God wants us to know. Prayer is the real work. It's the real power. Prayer accesses, as somebody put it, prayer accesses the slender nerve of omnipotence. Prayer changes history. I'm convinced that a huge part of the fall of communism in 1989 were the prayers of tons of believers in Eastern Europe and in Russia who were praying. You know, God expected Abraham to pray because, Abraham, you're my friend. I work through people. I work through my friends. If you know Jesus Christ, you're his friend. God expects us to pray. He expects us. He works through us in the prayers of his people. Prayer is not the only thing we do, but it is the main thing that we do. We call out to intercession. That means probably uh, 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 that when you're driving between here and Houston, uh, you're most likely going to turn off uh, political radio or sports talk radio, and you're going to be interceding much of the time. You're going to find time. You're going to make time. While you're exercising and working out, a, a lot of that time probably you're going to be interceding because it is your highest privilege and it is your greatest responsibility. Now, you might be taking uh, long times in your prayer closet or wherever you pray in your daily time with God, and that's certainly part of it, but it's probably not all of it. <laughs> We need to raise the level of prayer and intercession here at Wood's Edge. Because if so, we'll be a stronger church for the kingdom. We'll be stronger believers for the kingdom. And we'll see a lot more examples, answers to prayer in all of our lives. And we want that, don't we? We want that. At the end of the Bible, in Revelation, there's a very interesting metaphor of prayer. And this is what it is. It's in Revelation 5. It's a future throne room in heaven. And the Bible talks about this bowl of incense incense and it says immediately after that these are the prayers of God's people and and, and there's this fascinating example where this bowl is thrown down and all this fireworks take place I mean there's thunder and lightning and and rumblings and peals of thunder and and what God is saying this is where the power is now Philip Yancey the writer talks about that scene is what he says at a climactic moment in history heaven is quiet Seven angels stand with seven trumpets waiting for about the space of half an hour. Silence reigns as if all heaven is standing on tiptoe. And then an angel collects the prayers of God's people on earth, mixes them with incense, and presents them before the throne of God. The silence finally breaks when the fragmented prayers, or when the fragrant prayers are hurled down to the earth. And Revelation says, quote, And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Yancey goes on, the message is clear, history belongs to the intercessors who believe the future in the being. The prayers are essential agents in the final victory over evil, suffering, and death. There's a great story in missions history involving China. Now China, uh, I think I, I saw a little note this morning or yesterday, more Christians in China than in all of supposedly Christian Western Europe, which we know is no longer Christian Europe. The greatest revival in all history took place uh, in the last 50, 60 years in China. Now, the man that really got things started for the gospel was in the mid-1800s. God used a man by the name of Hudson Taylor. The guy who took Hudson Taylor's place when he needed to move on was a guy named D.E. Host. And there's a great little story about D.E. Host. When he was a young man... And he was first getting to China, and he was assigned two villages. You're responsible to bring the gospel to those two villages. Now, this was apparently a very mountainous area, and he couldn't easily get between one and the other. So he spent about all of his time in one village, and occasionally he would go to the other village. Now, here's what the problem was. It's because uh, when he occasionally went to the other village, it was doing far better with the gospel. I mean, they were just far better spiritually. And it was just so puzzled because he was spending, you know, 90% of his time, 95% of his time in the one village. And he was preaching, and he was counseling, and he was organizing, and he's doing all this ministry. But because he couldn't go to the other village, he spent a lot more time praying for the other village than the village where he lived. And that was the village that was thriving. He felt like God put this on his heart. He says, there are four key things to making disciples. Here they are. Number one. Prayer. Number two, prayer. Number three, prayer. Number four, the Word of God. And I felt God say, in about that order, that that proportion, about that order, I'm interested in the book of Acts when it first introduces the precursors of elders. All of you elders that are here, Um, he says this is what the elders need to devote themselves to prayer and the Word of God. And prayer goes first. Church, this is where the power is. This is the real work of of, of the ministry. And it is the calling of every single one of us. How are you doing with that calling? It's our privilege. I mean, it was Abraham's privilege to rescue Lot. It is our privilege. Who knows when we get to heaven one day what the results of your prayers might be that we're going to see. But it is not just your privilege. It is your greatest responsibility. If you're one of God's friends, and you are, if you know Christ. How are you doing with it? How's the level of intercession in your life? Men, husbands, are you protecting your families? Are you protecting your friends, the people that God's put on your heart? Women, wives, how are you doing with it? Let's do this. Uh, let's just take a few moments of silent prayer and just ask God, Lord, what do you have to say to me this morning about intercession, about this great calling? Okay, just close your eyes. Just breathe a prayer. Lord God, we pray you block out every voice except your voice. Lord, what do I need to hear from you? Just Listen. Lord, help us. Lord, guide us. Lord, thank you for this great privilege. Thank you for this great responsibility. We seize it. We seize it. Pour out prayer at Wood's Edge, Lord God. Raise the level of prayer at Wood's Edge. Lord God, we know we do not have a chance in the world of seeing Houston become transformed into a city of God apart from the earnest, fervent intercession of your people throughout this city. Pour out prayer. Start with us. Start in my heart. Start in our hearts. Lord, we pray it in Christ's name.